0: Hello everyone, I need to discuss my thoughts on Jesus. Um, This gives the rest of my thoughts on Jesus out. I come to recognize that when I was reading the Bible... I have learned more about who Jesus really was. And I've come to understand that Jesus wasn't a person who was indifferent to those who did not call themselves kingdom disciples. In actuality, um, I saw a Jesus who attractive character wise to people who would be called heathens and pagans today back then they were called sinners and I think that Jesus' definition of sin is not the church's definition of sin because in Jesus' mind it's a sin to hate yourself it's a sin to be hateful towards others. Um, and some people would say, what about the love of the God with all your heart, mind, and strength part? Jesus did not define it religiously like the church would. Jesus tended to speak in uh, figurative language. He was a deliverer of parables. So I would say that in that context Jesus was talking about you must embrace inner beauty completely, unconditionally, and permanently. He wasn't um attacking unbelievers and non believers with that statement because Jesus was, he used the word God because he was talking to religious people. So you gotta understand when people read the Bible, why did Jesus say certain things? Because he was talking to certain people. When you're talking to religious people, the word God is how you get their attention. When you're talking to secular people, metaphorical language is how you get their attention too. So it's easy to read the Bible and go, Jesus' words, every word of Jesus, according to the Bible writers, is a blanket statement on everyone. That is far from the factual truth. Um, He was saying it's a sin for religious people to not love God all their hearts, even though they claim to. So I've learned that Bible studying skill of okay, look study the the word choices that are attributed to Jesus and go okay, he was talking to faith based persons who weren't living up to um, their faith, so that's why he said you're sinning. By hating yourself, by hating God, and by hating others. That, the the um, the hating God part, he wasn't talking to unbelievers. He wouldn't say that to unbelievers. He wasn't talking to non-believers because he wouldn't say that to non-believers. He was talking to the legalistic community, not the religiously unaffiliated community. And then when I read this part of the Bible that talked about uh, marriage and divorce statements that are attributed to Jesus, I recognized that. I'll tell you this statement that I'll tell you what I'll recognize. According to the Bible writers, Jesus is supposedly said, haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made them male and female? For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and two become one flesh. Since so, they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore God had joined together, let no one separate. It's easy for conservative theology fans to go see he was denouncing gender and sexual diversity. No, he was not. Let's look at the context. He was talking to a group of heterosexual cisgender men. He was speaking to them in a way that they could understand. That is not an indictment on the queer community. That is not an indictment on the non binary community. When you're talking to straight people, you usually use man woman. That doesn't mean you can't be forthcoming about the plurality of sexuality and gender identities and sex characteristics in the world, but when you talk to straight people, that's basically how you get their attention. When you talk to gay people, lesbian people, you're not going to say man and woman. You may say man, man, or woman, woman in terms of illustrating a story so they could feel like, oh, they're being heard in the story. So I'm not advocating heteronormativity because I despise it. Um, I'm not advocating cis-sexism Because I despise it. I'm not advocating cisnormativity because I despise it. I'm not even advocating heterosexism because I despise that. I'm just saying we all have to speak to people in ways that they can understand, that they can feel that, oh, this is personal and personable to me because I can really get what you're saying, right? So Jesus did not dismiss Uh, Gender sexual diversity Because if you look at the verses down He said Not everyone can accept this word But only those to whom it has been given For there are eunuchs who were born that way And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs For the sake of the kingdom of heaven The one who can accept it should accept it So what Jesus was saying was It's easy for religious people to go He was talking about men with no testicles And he was talking about Uh, Men with damaged genitalia. It's deeper than that. He was also including... Ancient LGBTQI plus persons. There were eunuchs... Like the Ethiopian eunuch... Who was the first one... uh, Who experienced baptism in the days of the early church. There were eunuchs who... Were... Queer persons. Gender non-conforming persons. So to me that has me understanding. That. When he said eunuchs were born that way. Some people go yeah the man no testicles. Uh, it's deeper than that. He was also saying that. They are L- the LGBTQ plus people are born. The way that they are. So that lets me know that Jesus, when he was talking to these religious leaders, when he said male and female, he wasn't um, forsaking um, people outside the gender non-binary. He was doing his best to get their attention like, okay, since y'all are men and y'all are attracted to women, if I say male and female and say God put them together... That's how I can get you to understand eventually why your homophobia is wrong, why your transphobia is wrong, why your biphobia is wrong, why your queer phobia is wrong. So he started speaking to them in a way like, okay, um, I'm a, you know, yes, I'm a dude and I like chicks. That's what they were thinking. I know chicks can be Offensive word for a lot of women I'm just being honest with you all Even ladies listening About the, mis- the misogyny That's problematic That they suffered from The sexism, chauvinism, bravado, machismo Toxic masculinity, hyper masculinity That they're all suffering from He was talking to a group of male pigs So he started with God, male and female, and then worked his way up to, hey, gender, sexual diversity is beautiful. he That's basically what he was telling them, because in that time, it was understood that there are people who, it's not just men and women having sex with each other. Men have sex with men. Some people do that. Women have sex with women. Some people do that. They understood sexual orientation meaning sex. They didn't have gender identity understandings that we have today. They didn't have um, sexual orientation understandings that we have today. They didn't have sex characteristics understandings we have today. So Jesus spoke to them in the limited language of their time. The limited linguistics of their time. The the, um, the miseducated language of their time, you know, Jesus spoke to them in ways that they could best understand what we understand, but we understand a whole, a whole, a whole hell of a whole lot more than they do. So I think that, um, Jesus was also saying that it's okay for people not to be married. Um, And even it's easy to read the Bible and go, well, didn't Jesus talk about no other reason to get married, to no other reason to get remarried or not be married anymore because of the only reason being cheating. Jesus was talking to specific groups of people. And I know what they're trying to say, but they are greatly misguided. Because when I read the Bible, I go, Jesus tended to not make blanket statements that, peop- that conservative theologians said he said. He always had specific people in mind when he said specific things. And we got to remember, this is the first century. They don't have the wisdom that we had. So let's go to another passage. When he talked about um, divorce So this is the part where conservative theologians lose their minds it, Jesus, the, According to the Bible, Jesus said, has been said Anyone divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife Except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery Anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery So this is what Jesus was saying, okay When he said anyone... He wasn't talking about every person. He was talking about the, anyone like them, anyone like the group I'm talking to, right? He was talking to chauvinistic males. So you gotta ask yourself, why would he say that? Because a lot of the crowds were cis-hetero-patriarchal men victimizing women with their cis heteropatriarchy, so he was actually denouncing cis heteropatriarchy. We have to think when Jesus says things, well allegedly or supposedly says things, we ask ourselves, Who is he talking to, right? So Jesus was talking to men who were cheating on their wives. He was talking to men who would would dismiss their wives and then go marry somebody else because that was the person they were already cheating with. That's how they felt back then. And like writing letter certificate. Okay, you you suck at being my wife, be gone. So he was talking to men who were of who lack sexual self-discipline. He was talking to men who lack sexual self-control. He was talking to men who lack sexual thought control. So he was basically attacking the the male cheaters in the crowd. He's like, "Look, y'all are cheating on her." Y'all are having sexual fantasy, sexual urges, sexual desires for people that you're not married to, even though y'all supposed to be married. And Jesus is like, look, I understand. Okay, you're human. You're going to find the people attractive, even though you're married. But that doesn't give you the right to sow your royal oats in quotations. your wife is supposed to be your only sexual partner since you agreed to live a monogamous existence. So that's who he was talking to. He wasn't saying that you can't get divorced for any other reasons. Because back then, there were men who wouldn't even write or give a certificate of divorce to their spouse. They would say, look, we're just not married anymore. Um, I'm done with you. Um, bye, and I don't care if you're the mother of our kids, right? So, Jesus said, Look, if you're going to be done with the marriage, you actually have to lawfully terminate the marriage, and you actually have to control yourselves in terms of your feelings, your thoughts, and your emotions. And you can't treat women as disposable, discardable, rubbish. In the dumpster. You can't treat women like recycling bins. That's who Jesus was talking to. I had to really learn what he was saying. Okay, another thing, right? And I know this can be very problematic for a lot of people. So, I want to address this issue. It says, You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustful is already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right, eye cause you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. I can easily address this. So, Jesus was talking to male pigs again, because being a male pig was normal in the ancient days. If you weren't a male pig, they thought you were less than a man, like a lot of men think today. So Jesus was, he used graphic, frightening language to say to these men, hey, you're, you're putting women through Lives of living hell Um By Your reckless eyeballing Even though you're with your wife You're constantly talking about how Sexy in quotations I know that's offensive to a lot of women And hot I know that's offensive to a lot of women That these other women are they were the type that would look at a woman and... Ooh, ah. And they make all these misogynistic... Quote-unquote compliments. They're not real compliments. At all, they're actually insults. And... Um, I had to recognize that... Um, as for the word hell and gouge out away In that culture... Hell was... The Valley of Gehenna, the dumpster fire metaphor. He used that to get their attention because people knew that that environment was a metaphor for how never to live your life. So Jesus was basically saying that as for the gouging part, and the cutting off and your right hand all that. He was He was also making subtle references to violence against women. Because I had to ask myself, why did Jesus use violent language? Oh, if I'm talking to male pigs, male pigs tend to be violent against women. They can be sexually violent against women. They can be physically violent against women. They can be emotionally violent against women. They could be romantically violent against women. They could be spiritually violent against women. They can be financially violent against women. They can be politically violent against women. They can be racially violent against women. They can be culturally violent against women. They can be socially violent against women. Um... They could be psychologically violent against women. They could be intellectually violent against women. So I had to really think deeply about why did he say that? And I was like, oh, Jesus was denouncing um, abuse against women, trauma against women, victimization of women. Because if he talks... If he said, look at a woman lustfully... He was addressing... The harmful theology... That... Male supremacy... And male superiority brings. so I know that the Bible writers the way they wrote it, the way they wrote these things, I think was misguided, but I had to think deeper about okay, this is what Jesus was trying to say, but the Bible writers um, botched what he said um, because some because I had to study the historical Jesus and the his context and I was like, well, Jesus actually meant this, but the Bible writers misquoted him, miswrote him. I created that word on the fly because well-educated people like me can do that. And I think that they also misread him. You know, so. And then other people want to say this scripture. Let me talk about this scripture. It says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Notice in that scripture, he didn't call himself the Son of God in that scripture. What Jesus was saying was that, um... I'm homeless. I'm poor. I'm broke. And Jesus was saying these scary things. He was basically saying that, um... That if you live a life of moral excellence, it may cost you mansions, yachts, houses, apartments, penthouse suites, penthouse suites, row houses, townhouses, healthcare, um, vehicles, all your streams of income. You may be evicted. You may be homeless like me. You may be poor like me. You may be broke like me. You may be... a wanderer like me. You may have to live in households that like my, my like my disciples and myself. You may have to live by other people's rules in their homes and not live by your own house rules. And he said, basically what he was saying is moral excellence may mean that it may cost you popularity, acceptance, approval, materialism, possessions, things, items, statuses, uh, celebrity culture, um political relationships, you know, with politicians. And big names in quotations may not want to be bothered with you. They may denounce you and the media may castigate you for your moral excellence. When I say moral excellence, moral excellence is not owned by Christians. It's not even owned by the church. Anybody good is a morally excellent person so he he's basically making moral excellence the standard of universality he wasn't saying it's just applied to one group of people because I had to recognize that the circle of Jesus was not the type of person that was also like badly type of apocalyptic because it's easy to make him out to be um this person that was that way, but I, I see differently because if you're apocalyptic, why would you go to a wedding? Why would you have people drink wine at a wedding? That means Jesus went to weddings all the time because it's easy to look at that story go, oh, he went one time. No, that's one of the countless times he went. He grew up in a culture where marriage was a requirement. Now, there was a handful of people who were clowned because They chose, you know, the very few, they chose to live a life of celibacy. Which means that because birth control was lousy back then, if you chose not to have sex, you're also choosing not to get married. And you're also choosing not to produce children. Very few people were able to live that way. Most people in the ancient world, betrothal, Courtship, marriage were actual requirements. You had to do it. It was understood, we're not going to be here long. If you're 20, you're considered old because our medical care sucks. That's why life expectancy was garbage back then. If you made it to 30, that will, you were really considered blessed by God because life then was whack, in terms of food care and, and, and liquids, the water was always contaminated. That's why i amazed they were able to do baptism. Like you have, you want to be baptized in nasty water. Wow. So then that made me also think about other stuff that, you know, Jesus w- w- was saying, um, when he talked about like people being against each other and uh, for the sake of him, basically don't put me over other people, that type of scripture, I'm going to just sum it up because I really want to get into it I don't think Jesus worded it that way I think that the Bible writers again botched him. I think what, what Jesus was saying was and I'ma put it in a secular way. He was saying I don't think he was making more excellence all about himself. In that case, he I didn't I don't think he even said me. I think what Jesus was saying was okay Yeah, I have disciples, but I'm not a cult leader. I'm not a person who puts people against each other just for the sake of knowing it. And I had to also learn with Bible study that just because the Bible writer said Jesus said that, that doesn't mean he actually said that. They Bible writers said that. The translators said that. The transliterators said that. That doesn't mean that Jesus said that because when I said historical Jesus, I'm going, wait a minute. Jesus was about love. So if he did talk about hate, what he was saying was this He was saying, if you choose to live a life of moral excellence, if you choose to be a good person, there are some people in your family that are going to give you grief because you're breaking the generational mess. And generational mess meant... um, traumas. And he's also saying that you're starting generational healing. And there's some people that are going to be against you and your family because of that. And when Jesus talked about taking up the cross, I think he did say the taking up the cross part because it is a crucifixion culture. So it makes sense for him to say that. But he wasn't saying that, OK, um It's either my way or the highway. Jesus wasn't that type of person. The Bible writers were, but Jesus was not. Um, I think what he was saying in that regard was um, really simple. He was saying, you're you're going to feel like your family is crucifying you because you're choosing to be healthy. You're choosing to make sure the next generation is not dysfunctional like the dysfunctional family So I think A lot of stuff that's attributed to Jesus I just don't believe he said it Because okay He was an itinerant preacher Who Was a delight to social outcast And he's into faith healing So if I'm that type of person Why would I say things That Unbelievers and non-believers would hate me for later. In fact, Jesus was attractive character-wise, again, to people who were religious skeptics. I am pretty sure that a lot of the people that he talked to that were considered sinners. He was embracing of their religious skepticism i'm pretty sure there are atheist agnostics back then atheism agnosticism has been around since the beginning of time so i'm pretty sure jesus talked to people that didn't believe and with them they enjoyed the interactions with him that's the feeling i get because when i studied historical jesus like wait a minute if i'm dealing with outcasts then Obviously, religious skeptics are one of the outcasts of the religious society that Jesus grew up in. So the non-believers must have been a part of the social outcasts who felt safe with Jesus. So for me to use my mind and go, okay, this is what I know about him for sure. And the Bible writers failed to present him accurately because it's like okay I know what Jesus really said I also know what he didn't say because I studied him that much I'm like okay that's just the Bible writers blaming Jesus for their discriminatory attitudes which is still happening today if you think about the Christian nationalism movement Which is also a theocracy movement. So the Bible writers had theocratic Christian nationalist attitudes that they blame Jesus for. If you read the writers, I'm like, okay, I get what he was really saying. Because I use my mind. I look at the word choices and I go, hmm, this is this the historical Jesus actually said this. But y'all trying to make it seem like He's condemning people that aren't Christians. I'm like, no, not at all. Okay, I've had to teach I had to teach myself excellent Bible study skills. I'm like, okay, this is who he was talking to. He wasn't making a blanket statement on everybody in terms of everything that the Bible writer said he said. And then I just okay, and then let's talk about this. I'm getting all my thoughts on Jesus out today. So let's talk about the mental health of Jesus, right? So there are many people, even his, according to Bible writers, and even today, there are a lot of people who think that Jesus is demon-possessed, Jesus is insane, and Jesus has personality disorders. Well, I can tell you that there are images of Jesus that proves that to be true. For example, fascist Jesus... Is clinically insane and criminally insane? Yes. Um, Racist Jesus. Clinical criminal insanities. Misogynistic Jesus. Clinical criminal insanities. Rape apologist Jesus. Clinical criminal insanities domestic violence apologist, Jesus. Clinical criminal insanities. Yes. So the conservative theology, Jesus. Oh yeah. He, yeah. Insane. Demon possessed all the way because conservative theology is all about, I'm proud to blame my discriminatory laws and my discriminatory Conduct on Jesus Of Nazareth That's what conservative theology Jesus is And I'm like ugh Prosperity gospel Jesus yeah Clinical criminal insanity mm-hmm. Because you're basically saying that Jesus is Mr. Wall Street Corporate America doesn't like him you, They would say that Oh Jesus is Mr. Goldman Sachs Again He would not do well in corporate America because Jesus railed against the corporate greed of his day, okay? Corporate welfare pisses him off. If you don't believe me, read his parables concerning money and read his statements on finances. It's called the New Testament in the red letters. So I don't get this Jesus that they this Hollywood Jesus oh he wouldn't do well in Hollywood because he would be offended by the racism in terms of Oscar selections regarding how more white actors and actresses are given awards and rarely do black actors actresses get Oscars rarely i say again I don't get this Congress Jesus image because I'm like, Jesus would not do well with Republicans. That for sure. Um, because, oh my. Trying to cut food stamps and meals on wheels and breakfast programs for kids. Um, cutting daycare programs for kids. making universal child care, universal health care. Uh, advocating child marriage and cutting Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, Jesus would be hated by the Republicans. He would be. Democrats would be much more in favor of him because Jesus would get along with Democrats more. I'm not saying that Jesus is owned by political parties, not. But I, I must admit, the Democratic Party is much more in line with the teachings of Jesus. They're the only party that's in line with the teaching of jesus i have I've read the Republican Party platform. I have not seen anything that they do policy wise that benefits the oppressed like me, but i've re- I've read the Democratic Party issue statements oh, Jesus would be like, "Well, this is the only party that gets me," and he wouldn't even be offended if they weren't religious because a lot of Democrats are not. It's a lot are, but a lot not. The ones that are non-religious, you like the humanists or the atheists, agnostics who are in the Democratic Party. Not being Christian wouldn't actually offend him. He's like, hey, I just want you to have empathy in your heart. I just want you to have compassion. As long as you got that, I'm cool with you. The- theologically, I'm, I'm not bothered because, look, you understand me. Your empathy, your compassion—that's your way of you. You get me. So as long as you're kind to people, but you also show empathy, capacity. yourself, as long as you do all that stuff, with, I'm cool with you. I think that's how Jesus would be. I just never got the vibe that Jesus would care about what the church tends to care about. You know, in terms of. How the church teaches salvation I, I I think Jesus will understand The gray areas of salvation When the church goes No, it's black and white No Theological views are complex Because people are complex So and, and then also I thought about this deeply Um And I'm really just Debunking a lot of what I was Taught for example I do think that Jesus was a direct support professional because if you're washing people's feet that's direct support perfect to direct support professional behavior it really is so um let's look at this for example um So, Jesus conducted activities of daily living in his own life. For example, I'm pretty sure there were a lot of people with leprosy back then. So, Jesus was bathing and showering people. Jesus was assisting people in personal hygiene and grooming. Jesus was brushing, combing, and styling people's hairs. Jesus was dressing people. Jesus was teaching toilet hygiene. Jesus was helping people getting to the toilet. Jesus was cleaning them up, helping them clean themselves up and Jesus was getting them back up. Jesus was teaching functional mobility, often referred to as transferring. He was helping people with the ability to walk. He was, he was helping people get in and out of bed. He was helping people get into and out of chairs. And Jesus was teaching people self-feeding. He's like He taught them how to cook for themselves, how to chew for themselves, how to swallow for themselves. And um, I would say that Jesus played a role in assisted feeding. I think he was feeding other people who could not even feed themselves. I'm pretty sure Jesus did that all the time. I'm pretty sure some of the people that Jesus ate with, he would take the fork, put the Mediterranean, Mediterranean diet type of food, to the fork and put it in their mouth gently. I'm pretty sure assisted feeding is what Jesus did often. And, um, also, I think that, um, Jesus was helping people move from one place to another while performing activities, which is useful for people with different physical abilities who are still able to get around independently. So Jesus was doing that. And, um, I think that Jesus was, um teaching people cleaning and maintaining how their houses. Jesus was teaching people to of managing money. Jesus was teaching people, you know, how, how to go about moving within the community. Jesus was preparing meals. Jesus was shopping for groceries and necessities. And because Jesus was into faith healing, he was helping people taking their prescribed medications, making sure they don't underdose or overdose. And Jesus was teaching people how to communicate. They didn't have phones back then, but, um, but Jesus is teaching people basically how to write, how to read, um, how to budget, um, and how to verbalize. Um, I think that Jesus did teach the sign language of their day. Jesus used body gestures to help people to talk. And I think that Shopping groceries People are like There were no groceries Back then I know The groceries of their day Was He was teaching people How to He may have had to Carry people As he was walking To the market You teach people How to walk to the market Sometimes people get too tired Jesus was like Alright let's take a rest Let's sit down Okay you have enough energy Yep alright let's walk again Up uh, up uh, I'm running out of energy Jesus Okay Let's go to this Bench right here So they would sit down walk, or sometimes they had to sit on the ground, I'm like, okay, let's rest for a while, okay, let's go to the market, so I'm pretty sure that happened, like, they finally got to the market, got their stuff, so I'm pretty sure Jesus was like, um, hey, um, is there a way that we can horseback ride back to, back to this person's home with the groceries, or, hey, um, you know, I need help to carry this person, so I'm pretty sure Jesus makes sure that other people helped with, you know, okay, you go to this person and this is how you carry them. This is how you walk them, and don't make sure the groceries don't get damaged nor ruined. So I think that Jesus did these things and you get glimpses of it by the Bible. I'm like, okay, that's direct sport professional behavior. If you watch people speak, that means you did other stuff for people. So I'm pretty sure Jesus was caring of others, including selecting, supervising caregivers. Jesus valued care of pets. Jesus valued um, healthy child rearing. Jesus was into communication management. He was into community mobility. He was into financial management. He was into health management maintenance. He was into home establishment maintenance. He was into milk preparation and cleanup. And of course, Jesus was a rabbi. So religious observance is what he did. He was into shopping because I'm pretty sure there are families like, Jesus, I need your help um, getting things because my husband, maybe my husband works a long hours or I'm the wife. But um, I have a lot going on at home. Can you help us help me to raise my kids? Can you help me out with household chores? I can't do them all by myself. My husband is doing the best he can. And then there was um Jesus into safety procedures emerging responses. you can tell if you 're a faith healer, you have to know c p r you have to know how to bring people back from medical scares to make sure they're alive so safety response and emerging safety procedures emerging responses jesus was well educated in that if you're if you're about faith healing, you have to be really smart on that so i'm pretty sure Jesus was helping people with um urinary and bowel elimination i'm pretty sure Jesus was part of nursing assistant teams and um Jesus was into assisting in patient mobility such as moving activity intolerant patient within bed you know that Jesus was the occupational therapist of his day he was the physical therapist of his day, and um I really do believe this. And, um... I'm pretty sure that Jesus was the, um... Je- I'm pretty sure that Jesus was into, like, um... Bed baths... Um... Jesus went into bed making... I'm like, he did work with his hands, so he knew how to make beds and make sure they were comfortable. And Jesus, I'm pretty sure, helped with hospital beds, you know, getting people to wear appropriate clothing. Jesus helped with patient lifting. He was a very strong man, according to um, experts. And uh, Jesus was well-educated in suicide precautions. He helped out the visually impaired. Jesus valued swallowing precautions. And um, I'm pretty sure Jesus was basically the seeing eye man of his day. Like, you know, like a seeing eye dog. Imagine a seeing eye man, a man walking around, making sure you know where to go and if they were blind, according to diagnosis. And so I'm pretty sure Jesus knew how to use gestures and talk to people who... They may not have had hearing aids, but Jesus was sensitive to sensory overload and overstimulation. I'm pretty sure he made sure I'm I'm mindful of the fabric. Fabrics, I'm mindful of textures of clothing, I'm mindful of loud noises, I'm mindful of body sensations. So I'm pretty sure when when he was out and about with people... He made sure people weren't too loud or weren't too quiet because he wanted to make sure that, okay, um, this person needs to understand what you're saying, but be mindful of your vibrations and your frequencies. And I'm pretty sure Jesus was out and about with people who were mute. He knew how to lip sync to them. Like he would talk, but not verbally. He would move his lips as if he were talking But he would lip sync to them and they would lip sync back to them and they could have conversations. I'm pretty sure Jesus was doing this stuff. And um, that's how I really feel about Jesus. Um, I just never bought what the church said about Jesus in, in such a, you know... that we war against anybody not Christian. Like, ugh, that was so not Jesus. And I'm pretty sure Jesus was helping people with homemaking. Um, I'm pretty sure that Jesus was making sure that um, people were... Engaging in domestic activities of daily living. Being hobbies, you know. um, Walking, climbing stairs. Running errands, appointments. That was definitely Jesus. Transportation, whether horses or... Making sure there were always horses nearby to carry people pretty sure he built relationships with wealthy people because that tended to be wealthy people um i'm pretty sure jesus was teaching people companionship socialization light exercise exertive exercise mental exercise hobbies requiring dexterity or fine motor skill so he he did teach those things and um I'm pretty sure um, Jesus made sure that um, he had a team of people to help him out. Um, And I think that, and I want to talk about this I do think that Jesus was a dark, black-skinned black man with Afro-textured short hair and an Afro-textured beard that resembled a philosopher's facial hair back then. All because in that culture, short hair for men was the thing. And beards were normal. So, but Jesus resembled the ancient Egyptians and every hieroglyphic I saw them, they were dark black skinned black people. They were sun and they had um, kinky hair. I've never seen an ancient Egyptian hieroglyphic where they were either white or... Light skinned. I've never seen it. All even the mummies I saw. I'm like, even the mummies were said to be uh, dark in in pigmentation when they were alive. I was like, wow. And you can look at the ancient Egyptian mummies. I'm like, wow. They have black person features. You know enlarged lips, which are beautiful, broadened, um, enlarged noses, which are beautiful. And so if Jesus were alive today, many African countries would go, family, family, one of us, one of us. And people in Africa tend to be dark black skin, black people, even though, yes, there's brown and light skinned people in Africa, majority of them are chocolate cocoa colored. And I think Jesus looked exactly like that. Because Jewish people, there's a lot of Jewish people who look like black people. A lot of black people look like Jewish people. Similar features. I'm like, I believe that Jesus was a black Jewish man. I believe that um Jesus was a black Jew. I'm like, how can you be in ancient Egypt and ancient Egyptians? Y'all look alike. How can you be in ancient Egypt that long? Ancient Egyptians will go, oh, he is so one of us. Because they made Mary Joseph, I think, had family in ancient Egypt. Why go to Egypt, of all places? Because he had relatives there in the ancient world. If you stayed in a place for quite a while, you had to have family there. It didn't make sense to go to a place and you didn't know anybody there. That's why I think he was told to go to ancient Egypt. And I do think that um, sexuality wise, I haven't seen any evidence of the contrary. I think that Jesus was heterosexual. Um, now I could be wrong because when you see, you know, the disciple whom Jesus loved and they all hugged up together, bundled up together in that culture, they did do what is called an ancient kiss, but it wasn't romantic, it was a way of greeting each other, saying hi, and um, the head on Jesus' shoulder. So I just want to say on record. I I'm not bothered at all by the concept of Jesus being LGBTQI. Plus don't bother me at all. It doesn't, honestly. But from what I have seen and read about Jesus, I think he was heterosexual. Um I didn't see any writings to suggest otherwise except a disciple from whom Jesus loves story. But I did I do think he was married. Um, definitely to Mary Magdalene, because this this melancholic widow of enormous grief imagery that Mary Magdalene's portrayed in that culture, you didn't just give your male corpse in terms of just any woman. You had to be the next... If You had to be family... In order for them to go... Oh, okay... You, your, bu- your burial... Funeral... Arrangement claims... Are, are... Are... Your decision now... You either had to be... A biological relative... Or a wife... To... For them to go... Oh, okay, you can claim the body... They didn't give any woman just the claim... And plus... I think he used to kiss her often on the mouth. I know that's what that Gospel of Philip line that had a hole in it. I think he kissed her often on the mouth because, come on now, that's what married people tend to do, or people in love tend to do. Even if they're not married, they kiss each other often on the mouth. I mean, that's the oh, that's the mate, that's the main place you get kissed is the mouth. So yes, I think he often kissed Mary Magdalene on the mouth. And, I do think that he was definitely married to her. I I keep reading things, the way they talk to each other, I'm like, come on. This is such a, this is a, a Romeo and Juliet type of, banter they have with each other so i think jesus was married i think that jesus was sexually active i i think so i'm like hey that's one of the reasons to that's that's one that's a bonus reason to marry somebody hey in this culture we don't live long i have feelings feelings for me tie the knot and then we drop it like it's hot I think that happened. I'm totally comfortable with that. I'm totally comfortable with Jesus having erections. I'm totally comfortable with Jesus having wet dreams. I'm totally comfortable with Jesus having sex dreams. I'm totally comfortable with Jesus having nocturnal emissions. I'm comfortable with Jesus waking up with erections in the morning. Don't bother me. I'm comfortable with Jesus pissing. Jesus taking a shit. Jesus farting. Don't bother me. He was fully human. I'm comfortable with Jesus laughing. I'm pretty sure Jesus found adult comedy funny. Yes. If you're a rabbi and grown folks tell you their grown folks business. Because that's what they do with people they think are in positions of power. Or, oh, you're the therapist type. So I'm going to tell you all my grown folk business. Come on now. I'm pretty sure he used to... I'm I'm not saying he clowned people mean spiritually. I'm saying, like, some of the ground folk business wasn't in a therapist-client session, even though a lot of it was. The rest was just in conversation. So I'm pretty sure Jesus helped people with their sex lives. I'm pretty sure they had erotica type of conversations back then. I'm pretty sure there was some erotica that they explored together in terms of Jesus, I need help with my performance anxiety in bed. Jesus, I need help with staying sexy for my spouse. So, of course he talked about it. I mean, this is the man who talked to sex workers. If you're talking to sex workers, you're going to talk a lot about sex because that's their job. Profitably speaking, Okay. So, I think that Jesus was sex positive. I think he was body positive. I think he was LGBTQI plus positive. I think he was um, consent positive, kink positive, prude positive, slut positive. Because the women that, that were called sluts, sinners was a nice way of calling them sluts back then. The sluts like Jesus, though. Let's just marinate greatly on this. I also feel that um, Jesus was a uh, rape survivor positive. I do think that he preached the most on abuse issues. Because in 1st century AD, even though he was born in BC, BC and AD was filled with ancient abuse, ancient trauma, ancient victimization. So there was ancient rape culture because of ancient patriarchy. So I think that... Jesus blessed a lot of men. When I say bless, I'm talking about... He was internally rewarding to people who were male rape survivors. Because male rape survivors, a lot of them did not come forward publicly in ancient rape culture. Because they didn't want to be accused to being effeminate. There's nothing wrong with being effeminate, by the way. So in that culture... um Jesus was a blessing to male rape survivors, and I'm pretty sure in the synagogues and temples, he preached on that a lot. He preached on female rape survivors a lot. He preached on non-binary rape survivors a lot. He preached on LGBTQ plus rape survivors a lot. And rape does not mean gay. We we should people should stop mistaking rape survivors for gay people. Okay. Just because a gay person was raped, that doesn't make them gay. They were already gay before they were raped. And the rape did not stop them from being gay. Okay? So, I think about the fact that... Jesus was also a blessing to intimate partner violence survivors. I think he preached a lot on that when he was in the synagogues and temples. He preached a lot on domestic violence in pregnancy... Um, the effects of domestic violence as a partner of violence and, and domestic abuse. I'm pretty sure he preached a lot against date rapes and date uh, drug-facilitated sexual assault, poisoning people and raping them. He preached against pederasty and statutory rape and incest and uh, necrophilia and bestiality and um, non-consensual voyeurism, non-consensual um exhibitionism. I think he preached a lot on those subjects the most, and I think that's why survivors of all these types of traumas um, flock to him. Because if you're a person, again, if you're an itinerant preacher who is often associating himself with people of low position, meaning social outcasts, and you're a faith healer, right? Then that means that your preaching reflects all those things. Like, if Jesus talked a lot frequently about abuse issues, then, of course, it showed up in his preaching. So no no rape survivor, no survivor of any kind of trauma, and not even survivors of intimate partner violence ever had to convince Jesus to always preach on these subjects because he always did. And I'm pretty sure there were synagogues and temples who threw him out and didn't welcome him back because they knew that Jesus was preaching against other preachers who were doing these things, visiting rabbis, and he's even preaching against synagogue administrators and leaders who were doing all these abuses. And then there were some synagogues and temples who, because of the... House of worship crowd sensation that Jesus became, of course, that helped them out financially. I'm pretty sure whether they liked his preaching or not, they kept inviting him back because, well, Jesus is good for our business. And there were some synagogues and temples who, <clears throat> in my view, they really liked having Jesus around because I'm pretty sure their synagogue administrators and leaders who were thinking to themselves, finally. A rabbi who is not shy about what's happening in our culture behind closed doors. And I'm pretty sure that Jesus had healthy sex conversations with sex crime survivors. And I'm pretty sure Jesus had... um <clears throat> Uh, emotional intelligence conversations with survivors to make them feel loved. I'm talking about survivors of even intimate partner violence. And um, I'm pretty sure that um, Jesus condemned whorephobia and hierarchy of his day. So I'm pretty sure there were sex workers who they may not have been big on going to house of worship on the weekends, but they may have only, some of them may have only went because Jesus was in town. And I think Jesus um was also the type of person that when he talked to social outcasts, whether they were sex workers or tax collectors, he w- he didn't shy away from what happened. In their lives, their professions. Instead of saying, "Tax collect, you know, you tax collectors, y'all never be good with money," he was saying, "No, this is how you provide economic justice, to people." So I'm pretty sure he had economic justice discussions with tax collectors. Like, hey, if you want to be associated with me, you have to um, pay back all the people that you robbed. And you have to vow that you'll never do this again. You have to put the work to make sure it's never done again. And you have to be a champion of economic justice for the whole time that we're friends and cool with each other. As for sex workers, he was more like, he was very delicate on that subject. As for sex workers, I think he was saying that whether you want to stay in that world or not, just know that Healthy sex is for you. And I'm pretty sure Jesus was emphasizing um, the importance of bodily integrity. um, The importance of bodily autonomy. um, And honestly, I know I've said this many times, but I just have to keep saying it. I think when it came to sex... Jesus would talk to sex workers about, hey, um, objectification is wrong, demonization is wrong, sexual objectification is wrong, self-objectification is wrong, reification is wrong, instrumentality is wrong, denial of autonomy is wrong, inertness is wrong, fungibility is wrong, viability is wrong, um, Enslavement type ownership is wrong, denial of subjectivity is wrong, reduction to body is wrong, reduction to appearance is wrong, and silencing is wrong. So he would talk to them about how if, it, if you, whether you choose to stay in sex work or not, just know that sex should um, Ways of treating each other means that none of these things should be happening. The stuff I just listed. And I think that Jesus is also saying commodification is wrong. Now, you can have healthy sex work being done without being commodified. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at. He's also saying that you—you you know healthy sex is free of any kind of devaluement devaluement and this, what I mean by that is that Jesus was saying to sex workers, he wasn't the private life police. I think he found a middle ground on the subject. I think he was saying, um, "I want you to be safe. I want you to be mindful of sexual health. I want you to be mindful of always be treated as a woman should be treated." And never accept any misogyny from anybody. And I think he was saying... Um... That, um... You know, take charge of your entire life. And he was saying whether you should say network or not. Um... Make sure that all your finances belong to you. And nobody can hang over your head. And I think he was also saying that, um... I think he was t- talking to them about the importance of being sensitive lovers. Um, be be hospitable to your lovers. Make sure your lovers are hospitable to you. Make sure your lovers are sensitive lovers to you. And um, I think Jesus was middle ground on sex. I think he 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 did not like. S- Uh, sexual overindulgence, but he wasn't a fan of extreme sexual asceticism either. I think Jesus was definitely a comprehensive sexuality education kind of person. And like I said, I think he was a sex-positive feminist. I think he was a sex-positive movement person. I I, I don't think that Jesus would prime people's lives. Like, it's either marital or unmarital. It's either marital or premarital. It's either marriage fornication. Jesus wasn't on those things. He wasn't big on those things. I think he said, look, whatever sexual life you're going to live, make sure that equality and equity are happening. Um, Make sure respect and reverence are happening. Make sure that trust, meaning no distrust and no mistrust are happening. Make sure that emotional safety, physical safety, sexual safety, and, you know, psychological safety, intellectual safety, financial safety are happening. And I think he um, was also big on telling sex workers, you know, that... I understand what your profession and why you do it. I just want you to, if you choose to stay in that world, make sure you have all sound-minded reasons for doing so. And then, for the ones who wanted to leave, he helped them leave, because not every sex worker talked with Jesus left the profession. Pretty sure some stayed, and he was just like, okay, at least be careful, at least be mindful, be cautious. The ones who left, he's more of, okay, let's talk about what you've always wanted to do with your life. You know, let's um, help you with your dreams and other professions you want to do. I want to help you to be more entrepreneurial. How can we make sure you have multiple streams and you can um, definitely um, do more of what you like to do? And I'm pretty sure to the sex workers who stayed, he talked to them about the same things too. He just did. He's like, hey, is there other professions you want to do? Um... And more than just this sex work profession you want to do? Do you want to do other things along with this? And he I'm pretty sure that's how he talked to people. I just never got the feeling that Jesus valued warring against those who reject conservative theology. I just don't. I I just never had that experience with him. I had that with the church. I never had that with him. And then, um, you know... I, I, some people, believers would be shocked at what I'm saying. I'm like, look, this is, I'm a human rights-minded person. All of my, and I'm also animal rights-minded person. All of my interpretations of any religious text, T-E-X-T, are 100% of alignment with human rights and animal rights combined. That's how I look at life. And I think about the fact that. um, I look at the fact that Jesus. Even though yes Jesus proved positive. Jesus himself wasn't a prude. And I know that because. The fact that. He talked about, um, tax collectors and sex workers were, um, had a better chance of entering the royalty of God. I know kingdom could be a patriarchal word. I just say royalty so everybody can be included. Even though the Bible says prostitutes, I say sex workers to be respectful to sex workers. That they were more, um, noble before God than, um the religious leadership establishment and even though believers would go wait a minute what he ta- he, at the end he talked about repenting and belief here's how I look at this I've always felt that repentance was not about a particular denomination and what the denomination taught because one of the issues of church is theological confusion you have Denominational fights over Bible versions, fights, denominational fights over Bible translations, fights over uh, denominational fights over Bible transliterations. You have denominational fights over preaching styles. You have denominational fights over how much emotional expression should you show or not show. If you're fire and brimstone, ah, you're a heretic. You're not fire and brimstone, ah, you're a heretic. You're in middle ground between fire, brimstone, and grace and compassion, ah, you're a heretic. You have these issues in denominations. You also have issue, you have denominational fights over, should preachers be funny? Should preachers not be funny? Should preachers be middle ground between um, funny sometimes and all the time? Or fights over what pre- preacher should dress like this preacher should dress like that um okay what music do we listen to not listen to what movies do we watch or not watch what games do we attend and not attend what games do we play and not play what food do we eat and not eat what drinks do we drink and not drink what neighbors do we live and not live in? what schools do we send to our kids and do we homeschool it's a mess And that's theological confusion. Jesus did not value any of these theological confusions and denominational petty squabbles. Jesus didn't fight over, okay, how you do Holy Chameleon? Grape juice or wine, or maybe we should use orange juice because, you know, so we can not have to deal with this fight. Jesus didn't value that. Or you got to use crackers. No, you got to use bread. Okay. What if somebody, what if you got allergies? Just blueberry muffins. Call it a day. Ugh, then Jesus didn't value any of these things. And, um, and then believers, I think repentance had everything to do with it, it, it had everything to do with I'm acknowledging that I self disrespected and I disrespected others. To non-believers and unbelievers, he would talk about repentance from a, a disrespecting others' self and um, logic, reason, and evidence by how you treat, by, by the mistreatment you were doing. To faith-based people, he would put the God factor and self, others, and God. So Jesus would speak repentance differently to different people. Um, secondly, people would go, okay, owning your mistakes and growing from them. He would say, look at repentance like that. He wouldn't make it religious to him. Now, to faith-based people, he would say, you hurt the heart of God, you're grieving the Holy Spirit, you need to cut it out. Then he would talk about it with them. Jesus would say the same thing, same idea. Okay, you need to stop your ridiculousness, but he would put it in different, he would say the same thing in different ways, right? meaning, okay, the same message is stop your dicklessness. He wouldn't make it religious for the non-religious, but he would make it religious for the religious. But he's not saying to the non-religious, you have to, um, make yourself pious for me to embrace you. And I think that, um, Jesus was just someone that really, um, According to I I just think that Jesus was somebody that was beautifully countercultural. Not counterculture where the church would say it, but he was countercultural in a way where he was into hearts. He wasn't into outward appearances. Sadly the church was into outward appearances it's out of the Instead heart. of hearts. And Jesus was like, if you have a neighborly heart, I'm automatically on on excellent terms with you, regardless of your views on religion and even your views on politics. And so, when it came to the concept of afterlife, even this life, Jesus was like, but, you know, hey, as long as you keep having a neighborly heart, this life and afterlife, you'll be just fine. You know? And then I think about, um, believers would ask me, how would I define son of God in the Messianic claims of Jesus? Because believers go there. I understand how they think. I would say that those are all true secularly. And they would get really offended. I'm like, before you stay in your fence, let me explain. When Jesus was saying those things, he was saying that there is a divine presence in those who believe and those who disbelieve. And that divine presence is the hunger for humanitarianism, the hunger for charity. And charitable efforts. The hunger for philanthropy. um, That's what he was talking about. So you I think a secular Messiah can exist. A secular child of divinity can exist. And I think that's Jesus. And I think that a... Secular royalty of royalties Because I know lord of lords will throw off non-believers in my like, I don't want to say that But to religious people, I would say that to them Like secular lord of lords, secular king of kings But non-believers, I'll say secular royalty of royalty Because royalty doesn't depend on your gender, sexuality, or anything like that So I know how to say the same message But I word different to different people To be mindful of people's sensitivities and I would say that you can be a non-religious Christ. What that means is you're here to help nurture what's already beautiful inside of people. And you help them to teach themselves how to preserve that innate greatness of goodness inside of, you know, of a person. That's magnificent self-preservation. I think that's what Jesus was getting at, and I think that um, Jesus was also somebody that I don't I don't say "Son of God" to everybody because patriarchy is harmful too. And um, to religious people, I do. To non-religious people, I choose not to. I'm respectful. And I think that um, Jesus was somebody that he definitely wasn't an elitist tribalist. If that were the case, he wouldn't have a mixture of crowds of people from all walks of life um, approaching him so frequently and easily. And and endlessly, so I do think yes, Christ was a bra man, black Jew. Just I to throw that in there. But let me get back to the statement, my, my points. I also get the feeling that Jesus was a neurodiverse individual, and many people go, "Are you saying that Jesus had autism?" I and mean, I think he, I think he did. And I'm not saying negatively, I'm saying that Jesus, um, and these traits don't apply to just autistic people, but for the sake of conversation, here are the traits that people find the most in people with autism, like myself. I think that Jesus was a neurodiverse autistic individual because... And not every person with autism has all these traits I get that, we're not monolithic No human groups is monolithic, I understand that But for the sake of compassionate love And sacrificial love Jesus had all these positive features that are tripped to autism I think that Jesus had attention to detail Thoroughness, accuracy, deep focus, concentration freedom from distraction, observational skills Look, listen, look, learn, approach Fact-finding, absorb and retain facts, excellent long-term memory, superior recall, visual skills, visual learning, and recall, detailed focus, methodical approach, analytical spotting, patterns, repetition, novel approaches, unique thought processes, innovative solutions, creativity, distinctive imagination, expression of ideas, tenacity, resilience, determination, challenge opinions, accepting of difference, less likely to judge others. He was big on do not judge unless you may be judged. And he did question norms. And he had expertise in deaf knowledge, high level of skills, integrity, honesty, loyalty, commitment. And I want to say this again in a different way. Every per- Every experience of autism is unique. No one no one person will identify with every positive feature of autism. We all have individual skills, attributes, and characteristics that are as unique as our personalities. This is the power of neurodiversity, According to Harriet Cannon, Disability Services, February 2018, University of Leeds. Okay? I think that Jesus had all these positive features of autism, and I'm sticking to it. And I think also... um I also feel like, for me, that um, Jesus wasn't big on everybody coming to synagogues and temples, because Jesus spent most of his time, like I said, outside of the four walls, than in. So people that come to synagogue temples didn't bother him because he's like, look, I spend most of my time outside with people anyway. I spend very little time in the synagogues anyhow, anyway. So Jesus was saying, okay, I have more than one way to show um, companionate love to you, sacrificial love to you, and unconditional love to you, and compassionate love to you, and agape love to you. So he's like, okay, if you're a nature person, I'll speak to you through nature. If you're a, hey, I like to go out to eat and meal with people and be out and about. People I like to go to events. Okay, I'm going to show you love that way. Or, you know, I'm a person that likes to work and talk. I, I, you know, I'm on my job, Jesus, but we can talk while I'm working. And that helps me to better converse with you. Jesus like, okay, let's flow that way. So Jesus spoke to people in multiple ways. And the reason why he's in synagogues, because that's how some people best were able to feel like, I'm better able to receive you, Jesus, if I'm in a synagogue temple. That's why he went. So Jesus was into neurodivergence. He was a kinesthetic learner and teacher. He was a visual learner and teacher. And he was a audio learner and teacher, now you have a better understandings of his parables. So those are all the rest of my thoughts on Jesus.